Action! Welcome to Torn Stamps, a trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're going to continue our deep dive into Quentin Tarantino's films with his 2009 war epic, Inglorious Bastards. This film is set in occupied France. It opens with Hans a SS officer or colonel, and he is hunting Jews. One of the Jews that he's hunting gets away. We catch up with her later when the cinema that she now owns is selected as the location to debut Goebbels' new film called Nation's Pride. She hatches a plan to eradicate all the Nazi high command by burning it down to the ground. Parallel to her is a crack team of American mercenaries led by Brad Pitt who are hunting out Nazis and killing them off one by one. And taking their scalps. And take I want my scalps. <laughs> I want my scalps. I want my scalps. <laughs> so this is the film that Quentin Tarantino was writing as Jackie Brown was coming out. See. But he couldn't get an ending. So instead of making Inglorious Bastards... He put this aside and he made Kill Bill. Yeah. So it was, I remember at the time of Inglourious Bastards coming out that this was his long gestulating project. Is that what it's called? Long gestating? That would be the one. <laughs> um, so it, it's the one that everyone was like, he's finally, finally making it. Yeah. A bit like when Martin Scorsese made Gangs of New York. It's one of those. So he'd been sitting on this for a long time and then he stood up and made it. So I wonder which bit he was having trouble with. Was it the actual cinema bit at the end? He couldn't. He didn't have an ending. Uh-huh. So then he he took out. It, he said it was getting too big, and he didn't yeah. have an ending. So he took out one aspect and followed another the the other aspect that he left in, and that's when he found the ending. Oh. So he said he could make a prequel because he has all that backstory sorted, yeah. and he could just make it. That's interesting because. It's it's such a sort of narratively simplistic story. Like it's yeah. it's very much it pivots around three big scenes. I would say it's kind of the opening bit with Hans Lander arrives at the French farm. Yes. Then there's the bar shootout uh, with Michael Fassbender and uh, Diane Kruger and uh-huh. that lot. And then there's the big cinema set piece at the end. So it, it's. It really is kind of those are the, the big landmarks in the film. And then there are bits in between that are equally entertaining, actually. But it's he obviously found a way to simplify it and boil it down to the bare minimum of what the idea was. And the fact that it is split into chapters hmm. just shows that the influence or the style that he found for Kill Bill was obviously the key to making this one. Yeah, yeah, because the the chapters are really quick, quick moving. Yes. And chapter five is the last one. It's like 45 minutes long, I think. And mm-hmm. that is almost its own self-contained film. It, it's almost like the third episode in a TV miniseries. Yeah. Where it, it all comes together and there's the big payoff. And it's so good. It's, this is 
one of his absolute strongest films, I think. In terms of actual script, yeah, it is his strongest since Jackie Brown. But because yeah. Jackie Brown is actually a script based on a book, I'll go further and say this is his best script since Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Every spoken word serves the plot. Everything that happens in this film actually moves it on. The film doesn't pause for a monologue. There are monologues, but the monologues are so important to the characters and the plot. It it was such... Just watching it, because we're watching the films in sequence, it was such a breath of fresh air after Death Proof. Yeah, which just babbles on and on and on. Yeah, that, I wrote down the exact same thing, which is that the dialogue... He, Quentin Tarantino has reached a point in his ability as a writer and a director where the story now is the dialogue you know the the plot pivots around it so there's the scene in the bar where Michael Fassbender uh, is meeting Diane Kruger she's a German actress who's defected to help the yeah uh, and she's the, been the British spy for two years yeah he Michael Fassbender is posing as a, a Nazi officer yes speaking German fluently and he only gets caught out when he fucks up a, a, a type of grammatical thing in German. That, no, no. He, no? he asked for three glasses and instead of using his little finger, his middle finger, and then the finger that's in between the middle finger and the, the little finger, yeah. he used his index oh, finger, yeah. the middle finger, and the, four, the third finger. Yeah. So he, he, he used the wrong hand gesture. Yeah, yeah. So it's not quite the dialogue, but the dialogue still is the thing. Yes, and it's that's always been it's, the case it, with Tarantino. But, but it's there is a, there is ambiguity in the guy's accent. Yeah, yeah, which is hilarious because Michael Fassbender is native German. Is he? Uh, that's his first language. He's Irish, isn't he? His parents are German Irish, but he was born and raised essentially in Germany. Ah, oh, so his first language is German. You know, when I watched um, X Men first, first Class, class. <laughs> yeah. are you thinking of the same thing I'm thinking yeah. of? Where Throughout the film, he is he's pretty decent with his English accent. And then by the end of it, because that film was, was announced, shot, edited and released all within 11 months. Crazy. Crazy. Um, they obviously didn't have enough time for ADR. So at the end, he's like, come on, guys, why don't you join me? Come on. It's so weird. I guess maybe his English, his natural speaking English accent is more Irish because of his parents. I don't know. But yes. Yeah, well, he speaks with an Irish accent normally, doesn't he? Does he actually? Absolutely. I re- I haven't listened to him speak properly, like outside of films, in a long time. He's a hundred percent Irish, uh, I think, and he obviously has that Fassbender surname. But yeah. he speaks with an Irish accent. He's not like Jerry Adams. It's not like Northern Ireland, not like that, not Northern Ireland. He's very much a hoity- potato. Yeah, it's very much a floaty. Ah, oh, you know, I'm Irish. You know, there is an Irish, uh, fl- you know, twinge to his voice. Oh, okay. He, but, I mean, the point I'm making with X Men First Class, it wasn't a choice to be Irish. No. He just, that's his natural speaking voice. Oh, okay. In English. In English, yes. Yeah. What, the, the use of language in this film is incredibly brave and amazing. I mean, brave is such a stupid word, but you know what I mean? Most mainstream audiences don't want to go to the cinema to read. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, this film opens in French for the, the, a good first 10 minutes before Hans says, can we switch to English? Yeah. And then there's Which long... is great because he's doing it not for the audience's benefit, but no, to he's, cover up. Yeah, he's fact. doing it to so the Jews and the floor under the mm. floorboard don't, so great. don't hear. Yeah. Um, 
there's long stretches, other stretches in French, there's long stretches in German. A little tiny bit in Italian. <laughs> a little, yeah, well. <laughs> Carolelli. <Yeah>. Bongiorno. <laughs> so um, the, I think the subtitles was moved too quick at times because I had to scratch back. Yeah. But the fact that this is a mainstream Hollywood American movie and a good third of it is in a foreign language. 30% of the film is in English. 30% is in English. Yeah. Just brilliant. Yeah, it's so. I love that. But I think that Tarantino, because he, even though he's become known, he still is in the indie world, and he still attracts a certain literary kind of film watcher. So I don't think he necessarily had anything to worry about. Like Kill Bill has a ton of uh, Japanese scenes that. Yeah, but you know, no way near as much. No, the main characters are English. Is, well, no, but no, no. In terms of the the language used, yeah, they had Japanese spoken in Kill Bill but it was nowhere near as much as French and German in this film it's weird that you say he's part of the indie world and yes he is part of the indie world but he's not independent yeah Miramax the Weinstein Company they were and are studios it's Mm. not independent film anymore Mm. his new one has a budget of 100 million do you think that that's a hangover from the 90s like a positive hangover from the 90s when a certain kind of film was actively like the 70s as well like a certain kind of film was popular you know not big action blockbuster sci-fi comic book superhero things but dramas and low-key thrillers yeah intelligent films i think miramax really um cornered that market oh 100 percent. the crying game the Mm. piano those that was the miramax she's all that well (laughs) (laughs) but that was the miramax bread and butter and then as soon as Pulp Fiction hit, that's the, the tipping point. That's the turning point. Hmm. You know, the same year they, they, the Pulp Fiction hit, they bought Clerks. And that's probably the last of the so-called aesthetically indie films. Hmm. After that, it was all Shakespeare in Love, Chicago, yeah, on and on and on. More bankable, easy, safe Oscar bets. films. Yeah, yeah. Oscar But this was, this was the most profitable tarantino film since pulp fiction even more than kill bill volume one what do you what do you think about the fact that that this is this is kind of like quentin tarantino as historian he's like he's telling his own version of history well it starts off with once upon a time dot 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 in nazi occupied paris so already france yeah it's a which was the working title for the film I'm glad they went with Inglourious Bastards because mm-hmm. I really don't like films called Once Upon a Time yeah. and yada, yada, yada. Like, it's such a weak Once title. Once Upon a Time in Peckham. In Hollywood. It's yeah. such a weak title. Yeah. Um, but it's Once Upon a Time. It's a fairy tale. This is not an historically accurate film, clearly, because the Nazi high command dies. Yeah. It's, He's, a sp- his, it's a spaghetti western is what he wanted to do was war movie meets spaghetti western. It's so. a war movie and it ties in to a question I have, which is, how do you feel about the tone of the film? And how do you feel about how the subject matter is treated? Yeah, because the opening scene is almost feels like it's an island unto itself. It, it's so... Island uh, in the stream. Yeah, just kind of blood, rivers of blood. It It's so... Uh, it's a river of slime. <laughs> <laughs> It's just really dark and upsetting and it doesn't quite match 
the that kind of gung-ho gi square jawed brad pitt part of the story which is yeah very ott um and silly and fun and, and like flippant yeah flippant and like a little bit weirdly wes anderson kind really? of not in terms of how graphic and dark it is but in that really dry sense of humor that wes anderson has yes um so i think that the only people who really get um, like it doesn't treat Jewish people in any way other than respectful and as people who have been victimized. The only people who really are taking the piss out of are the Germans and the Nazis. Well, specifically Nazis, really not really Germans. Well, um, they were synonymous at the time, at the time right? Yeah. The Nazi uh, regime was in power. It is a Hollywood war movie. So much in the same way that Death Proof was a grindhouse film mm. and Kill Bill was a samurai movie and a Western. This really plays up and observes and um, honors all those gun ho, like you said, American war movies. Mm. And I know at the time there was a lot of talk about it being disrespectful to the memory of people that were murdered in the Holocaust and elsewhere in World War Two, But is it any more or any less disrespectful than a film like The Great Escape, which is held in such high esteem? Hmm. Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, Life is Beautiful, The Pianist, Black Book, Schindler's List, which seems hmm. to sit on a throne of, of all of itself, Downfall, Valkyrie, Boy in the Striped Pajamas. These are all films either telling a true story or a fictional story based in truth and they're all using film grammar and stereotypes of the war so it all looks a particular way everyone's dressed a particular way everyone acts in a particular way yeah i think there's there's two questions going on there one of them is um should we be exploiting in inverted commas a true a real life tragedy which was millions of innocent people being savagely massacred by a power hungry maniac basically should we re should we really be making entertainment out of that stuff so that's one of them but then the other question is what is what is the tone of this film and how does it portray nazis and if it portrays them as cartoonish almost indiana jones style yeah. baddies mm -hmm. is that okay and what what does it mean in a wider view i suppose i don't think it's all that okay it dehumanizes yeah the nazis the yeah, nazis what like like you just said power hungry maniac so when people say things like hitler was a monster i'm i'm always the first to say no he wasn't a monster mm. he was just a very intelligent man that used his intelligence in the wrong direction in a very racist direction well in a homophobic direction and a well yeah it was just, it was very hateful it was very nationalist but he was a man he wasn't a monster yeah. he didn't get up in the morning going haha who can i kill today mm. he wasn't a bond villain he was a very powerful politician and revolutionary you know he he spent time in prison the Nazi party and the way he worked his way up was against the establishment. So mm. he was a very dangerous man. But let's not dehumanize someone. Not because I think, 
you can't dehumanise Hitler. He was such a, a wonderful person. No, because it will just let you fall into a false sense of security. Oh, I we, agree. We I can't dehumanise Trump. That's exactly what I was going to say. We have to remember, he is a human being with a, with a very intelligent team behind him. So don't, don't dehumanise the person because that gives him power. The thing that seems to happen with politicians especially and in this film with Hitler is that you're not so much dehumanizing them as humiliating them um so Trump is prime example everyone calls him a an American idiot a Yankee a, a fool and yes okay he does display a lot of those characteristics and I'm not pro-Trump or anything I don't really care um but it's like you almost by ridiculing them you're forgetting that they actually are immensely powerful and they can mm-hmm. still do stuff and I don't know, it's quite dangerous, I think, to ridicule people who actually have that much power. But with Hitler, that fucker's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. he's been dead since 45. Yeah. But it's almost like two Hitlers exist. There was the real one, and then there's this movie one who is a cartoony, buffoonish kind of guy. Sweaty, greasy kind of guy. Sweaty, greasy. And it's almost like that is the Hitler character that filmmakers or storytellers get to play with and mm. that's what Quentin Tarantino is doing here. Yeah. I don't necessarily think this film is disrespectful in in that respect. I think it's operating in a completely different um universe, let's say, to Schindler's List. Raiders of the Lost Ark has cartoony Nazis. Mm. There was that one about Nazis on the moon, Iron <laughs> Fist, I think what it was called. Yeah. And there was clearly... Red Snow, the 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 Norwegian zombie film as well yes yes yeah. exactly but you know they are cartoony caricatures and i don't know it, it, if it gets people talking about the holocaust again is that such a bad thing no uh, clearly not because it's an awful thing that happened and people should still be talking about how terrible that was so we never go back to it but this film isn't about the holocaust it's it's about it's a a quest to it's stop. a revenge film yeah it's a massive revenge film it's a revenge film yeah. which a lot of his stuff is based on revenge yeah yeah that's true especially the last three four in fact i'd say jackie brown is about revenge she wants her revenge death on proof. odell death proof isn't about oh that yes, is it is yeah death yeah proof, the is, second yeah. half is about revenge yeah uh kill Bill opens with an old klingon proverb oh yeah, yeah. revenge <laughs> is a dish best served so, cold yeah yeah i forgot that Inglorious Bastards is 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 an unusual like specimen, I guess, because it exists in its own bubble and yet it draws from real life horrors to inform that bubble. Yes. So it, it's not saying this is historically accurate. This this is what happened. It's saying here's a comic book version, mm-hmm. uh, or like a film influenced version. It's almost like the culmination of all the film versions of the, the Nazi story but that being said Schindler's List is not a documentary no exactly can't be no no exactly it's Life always is beautiful be object subjective but they, they might be more quote-unquote respectful mm. to the victims but Schindler's List was made in such a way that Spielberg had a load of extras dress up as Holocaust victims mm. so there's still a you know, a make-believe show-and-tell thing going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, there was one of the German actors um, wasn't going to do the role because he didn't want to wear a Nazi uniform. 
and he only agreed to wear it when he found out that he was going to be basically killing Nazis. So, ah, it, oh, is it the one who um, stabs the other one in the head? I think that, yeah, that's, oh my that God. That would make sense. Oh God, it's so awful. <laughs> yeah. The, the bar scene, I think, is probably the best scene in the film. Yeah. If not the best film, then joint first with the first scene. Yeah, It's definitely. so wonderfully constructed. Those are set pieces. Not, yeah. There's no action. I mean, there is action, but there's no action set pieces. It's mm-hmm. tense dialogue set pieces. Yeah. And that's where Quentin, that's where his talent really comes to the fore. Yeah. Well, he lights a fuse at the start of the scene, both scenes, and he waits, he leaves it to burn. And mm-hmm. then you're waiting for that bloody eruption at the end. And yeah, I think the main bits that I really remember are those two scenes. Yeah, it's just such a weird, like you were talking about the tone of it and stuff. It is just such a weird film tonally. Because the Brad Pitt is really, really funny in it, and he yeah. is completely sending up American sort of GI Joe style soldiers. But he's acting in a different film. To, yeah, um, to Melanie Laurent, the the girl. Well, her as well. But he's acting in a different film to her. He's acting in a different film to Christoph Waltz, and he's yeah. acting in a different film to Fassbender. Yeah, but but it works. It works. And even when he walks in, Fassbender before walks into. The, uh, the, the the war room and Mike Myers is in there. Yeah. Is he, is that, I mean, you you can't help but think Austin Powers. But he's almost unrecognisable. I mean, well, you know it's him. He's, I, I love Mike Myers in non-goofy comedy roles mm. or, or the the serious end of comedy. Mm. So I, his, his favourite role for me ever is Steve Rubell in 54. I was going to say, yeah. Why does Hans at the start of the film let Shoshana go? And she's running across the field. Yeah. Because um, she's out of range, you assume. They have cars. They could drive after her. Yeah, that's true. But they don't go after her. I don't know. I genuinely don't know why he does that. What, does, th- he, what does he shout after her? Something in French. Yeah. I think he lets her go because he enjoys the hunt. Yeah, he is a hunter. He's a bounty hunter. Well, he's called the Jew hunter, isn't he? Ooh. And even though at the end... He he kind of says to Brad Pitt, I didn't come up with that name. I don't like it, or more or less. But at the start, when he's talking to the French guy, the French farmer, the dairy farmer, he brings up his name. And it's almost like a, 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 a point of pride. Mm. They call me the Jew hunter. Yeah. He's saying it as a boast. He's all about the hunt. So if one more Jew is, is running, great. That's I can carry on. I have a reason yeah. to be. I'm, and he I'm, trusts I'm, that he will hunt her down at some point. Yeah, yeah. Does he know that that's her at the restaurant when he's talking about the whipped cream and stuff? No, I don't think so. Because otherwise... that little girl looks... I mean, he didn't see her face, I don't think. But that little girl was amazingly cast. She looks, she looks just like Melanie Laurent. Which little girl are you talking about? The little girl who runs away at the start. That was the same girl, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the same diff- actress. No, it's a different actress. Oh, really? Yeah, I, sw- I swear it is. I swear it was the same actress. It was, was only it? four years. Between. I felt like she was a little tiny kid. No, she was covered in shit, wasn't she? Oh, oh well. You confused me there. <laughs> confused myself. I got confused. Um, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I don't think he knew. No. And I don't think we needed the close-up of the cream because it added nothing. That Yeah, the whole scene, the whole food porn in that scene was very strange. Oh, I do like an apple latrice. I really do fancy one now. Oh, apple latrice royale. I even quite want a glass of milk. Oh, no, I can't drink milk. Not like that. No. He, like that role was actually meant to be Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) 
What? Yeah. That does not make no, 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 no. That no, was no. Tarantino's original idea. Was I'll get I'll get Leo to do this. No, you need yeah. someone. Well, first of all, German. Yeah, yeah. And second of all, second of all, of the age that Christoph Waltz is, that man is just. I could listen to him read the phone book. Yeah. Even in shit films like, what was the Bond film he was in? Oh, Spectre. Spectre. Yeah. Where the film is terrible, but listening to him talk is gorgeous. Mm. In fact, there's another connection to Spectre in this film. Really? I, I have no memory of that piece of crap film. Um, so the Bond girl in Spectre was yeah. the girl from It's Only the End of the World. You know the Xavier oh, Dolan film? Leah Seydoux. Yeah. yeah. She was one of the Jewish daughters. Of course she was, yeah. Well, she was Inspector. But I could listen to him yeah. talking. I love him in Carnage. Oh, so funny in Carnage. Yeah, I called her doodles. <laughs> <laughs> but he's great. And yeah. this was his big international breakthrough. Yeah, he'd been working in German TV and movies from the 70s. Yeah. And Tarantino was actually thinking about scrapping the film, apparently, because he couldn't find the guy to play Lander. Why did Leo do um, it? Well, because then Tarantino was like, no, I need a German native speaker to oh, right, actually play this role. So he did the right thing. Yeah. Um, and then Christoph Waltz came in and it was just like, holy shit, this is the guy. It's like he was built, like, like this role was written for him. Yeah. It was like destiny. This was the role that he was, he was <sighs> de- destined for. Yeah. That bit when he cracks up laughing because of her excuse about the leg. Yes. That... Like it's so, the hubris. Yeah. Because he can't believe his luck. He can't believe the lie as he well. He can't believe his... He thinks it's hilarious. Just, he thinks the lie is phenomenal. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, what the fuck is he laughing about? <laughs> I love how they've constructed the cast like a high heel. Eh? The cast on her leg. Oh. Not the cast as in like, the people who play the reactors. <laughs> Were they on steps? <laughs> what? Um, I love that beer glass that looks like a, like a, um, a shoe. Yeah. And it's a shoe that gives her away at the end. Yeah. It all ties in. Yeah. Does he think he's untouchable? Lander? Yeah. He thinks he's so smart. You think you're so smart. He thinks that he can talk or think his way out of everything. Mm. And that's why at the end he is so outraged. And he's like, you said I could have his life or something. It's so... Yeah, yeah he's, he just thinks that he is always the smartest person in the room, no matter which room he's in. And he probably is a lot of the time. Yes. But that's why it takes somebody like thingy rain um the apache the apache that's why it takes someone like him to actually outsmart him because he doesn't play by the same set of rules that Lander no, does. he's a renegade yeah so when like, he's i'll like, probably get talked up he's like i've, I've been talked up before right exactly so yeah it, it's like his outrage because he's very he's moralistic in a way that is the opposite to actual being actually being moral yeah he's like morally wrong so when he when he strangles, well, he's he's loyal again. It misplaced loyalty. He is loyal to the Nazis because they employ yeah. him. So of course his morals will be aligned with them, not with you know the rest of the Western world. Yeah, and his word is his bond. Like he's always followed through on what he said he's going to do, as far as we know. So when he's given his word and he that's it he's just decided that's what's going to happen and when they say oh, i don't think so sorry bang yeah it's it's just the worst possible thing that could ever happen to him apart from having a swastika engraved on his forehead is he calm and collected um i feel like he is calm and collected because he feels intelligent and in control of every situation then why does he lunge and go mad and kill the actress he's well yeah that's that's what i was going to say when he strangles her it's because 
she has dared to try to trick him. She's dared to believe that she's smarter, that she's smart enough. She's got this plan, but also she's she's a, a traitor. And he does not like anybody who's not part of his, well, you know, his Nazi agenda. But then 10 minutes later, he's betraying Hitler, Goebbels, mm. the, the Thousand Year Reich. He's, he is betraying his country by not making the phone call, by having the high command die, and he's setting himself up for after the war. Yeah. So he's not loyal. So I find it, I find it confusing that maybe... I find it confusing that he's killed her. Maybe it is to do with the intelligence thing. Maybe he's yeah. so arrogant. He's got so much hubris that the fact that she thought she had won over on him, mm. that's his way of showing it. He's like, you fucking didn't love because if he does love the country, he would have fallen on his own sword. He would have been like, I'm not letting you kill the Fuhrer. Yeah. And he, in that conversation, he was speaking about the Nazis as if he was separate to them. They employ me. I'm good at finding things. So I work for mm. the Nazis. He's not a Nazi. Was Shoshana's death glorified? I couldn't tell if she was planning to die anyway, because when those bombs go off, the entire cinema is destroyed. So it, was, it seemed like she was... A terrorist. She was almost. Well, she suicidal. has no idea that they were all coming in with the. Oh, did she not? The dynamite. No, there was two plots going on. She only of knew about course. hers. And she was in the projection booth, which is on the opposite side to the screen where they put all the thirty-five millimeter nitrate. Oh, uh, right. Okay, so she wasn't actually. She was planning no. on getting out alive. Yeah, I think she was. Yeah. She wanted to go with her lover. Yeah. But in terms of her death, mm. is it glorified? How she's slow-mo and the blood is pouring out and it's spraying up and it's looking great and she's falling to the floor um i think it was operatic rather than exploitative because she, she comes so close to seeing her plan play out and it's just on the other side of that wall and because of this fucking idiot who just won't leave her alone yeah so it's just this tragic thing where she came so close to seeing it fulfilled and then this idiot comes along and she shouldn't have rolled him over. She should have just shot him even more. In the head. But that's where the empathy is. Yeah. That she isn't like the Nazis. No, she's not. She actually felt bad yeah. and sorry for the man, the human that he was. So that's why she goes over and turns him over and sadly... He had a he, had, he had a gun. But then he shoots her hmm. and it's all slow-mo. Shoot her! Shoot her! But it's all very slow-mo and it looks great i think that's quentin tarantino respecting her okay she looks like an angel as she's mm. dying whereas everyone else dies in such pathetic miserable ways mm. either they get blown up or they're shot to pieces and they're like yeah. you know hitler's being shot goebbels is being His shot face. Um, even even frederick daniel Brawl dies slumped against a door dying mm. bleeding out not quite dead but will be dead there's no help because everyone's burning mm. all the other nazis and, and 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 guests are scrambling to get out and they're dying moaning just like you know they would open up the um the doors of the crematoriums in auschwitz and these places opened outwards mm. because they couldn't open them in because uh, the bodies yeah because people were scrambling up and trying to get out so they were in the way mm. and that's exactly what was happening with the the nazis in the cinema they were trying to get out the doors but they were locked and they were mm. all dying scrambling over one another yeah how did you feel about her shooting him in the back 
No problem. <laughs> Watch out for that Rob Gershens and he'll get you. No in the problem. Bag. He he shot what was it like 180? Three three hundred, wasn't it? Was it three hundred? Anyway, it was under like three hundred Italians or something. Something like that. Yeah. He he shot people from a crow's nest. That's quite a cowardly thing to do. Mm. Being a sniper, they don't even know you're there. They just know they've just been shot and that's it, they're dead. Mm. So at least he knows what's happened. Yeah. That was a moment where I felt, ah, Tarantino has discovered when to talk and when not to talk. Mm. Because he left the talking to those landmark milestone moments in the film. And then the moment when Frederick Soller comes into the projector room and she says, turn and go and close the door. I was like, oh, she hasn't moved. Oh God, are they going to have a great long discussion where he discovers (laughs) that she's a traitor? But then she just shoots in the back. And I was like, good. And that's a, a great moment. Not only because it's impactful, but also because it's Tarantino knows now when he went to, went, went to, to shut, shut the up. Fuck up, went to shut. The well, it's fuck like up. it's like the 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 Hanzo moment when he writes Bill on the window in, mm. in Kill Bill. Yeah, exactly. Slowly, he's learning. Mm, she learns. She learns. I feel like the Brad Pitt character. That was Brad Pitt doing his best impression of George Clooney. Yes. <laughs> like George Clooney would have been amazing in that role as well, yes. but probably a bit too suave. Whereas. Brad Pitt somehow has a well. He's 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 really grown a grittiness to him, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah, he's not the he's not that one skinny from, kid from Thelma Louise. Thelma Louise. Yeah, Thelma. Let's talk about the grammar. Foot massage. Well, it's not really a foot massage. You like put your foot here so he can put the shoe on. I yeah. love the way it clicks into place. But there's still a lot of foot play going on. Yeah. Well, chapters. Chapters. Wilhelm scream, which I notice is in basically all of them. Yes. Yeah. Charismatic criminals. Yeah. Um, Monologues. Conning, conning the con artist, that kind of playing off each other. Yeah. So Jeru's, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Point of view, looking up at characters. So it's not in a boot, but we are <laughs> looking up at... Oh, yeah. As, the, a, as they're over a body. Yeah. When, yeah. They're, when they're carving into the forehead. Yeah. Codenames again. Jew Hunter, Bear Jew, the Apache. Yeah. Working with the same actors again. Yeah. Did you hear the two cameos? Hear them? Yeah. No. Well, which actors are you thinking of? No, none. Exactly. <laughs> so visually, I don't think he's worked with any of these actors before. Uh-huh. Oh, except Sophie from um, oh, from Kill, Kill Bill. Bill. She was in this as, a, as the translator for Goebbels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But Samuel L. Jackson had a very quick cameo as the narrator. Oh, of course. Yeah, I did actually remember that. Yeah. And when Brad Pitt talks to his superior yeah. at the end in order to confirm what Hans wants, do you know whose voice that is? Travolta. We're going to be okay. Uh. <laughs> Mr. White. Mr. White. Uh. Mr. Wolf. Got him in there again. Well, he owes his career to him. So you'd think he'd try to get him into He owes everything. his latter career, yeah. Yeah. Well, from Pulp... From uh, Reservoir Dogs on. Onwards, yeah. I mean, yeah. Harvey Cattell's been working since the 70s. No, Tarantino owes oh, his career to right. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, there's oh. no accident thesis in this. That doesn't fit. I'm beginning to think that's only yeah, Pulp Fiction. Possibly. I mean, I didn't get to read the whole article, so I don't know. The final line of the film. Do you remember what it is? Uh, bye. <laughs> Cut. Shalom. No, it's... Brad Pitt, and he says, he's looking down at Hans Lander's forehead. Yeah. 
And he says... Oh, yes. He says, like... Doesn't the other one go, I think this might be your finest work? He says, I think this might be my masterpiece. It, it may be. Do you think it is? It may be. It may be Quentin Tarantino's best film. Because it's got... It's got the dialogue and it's got the flippancy of Kill Bill. Plus it has just a little bit extra depth there's enough characterization there that you don't feel that people are tropes yeah. you actually feel these are fully realized characters even some of the side ones like um elon roth elon eli, eli roth. roth yeah he he's brilliant he holds the, the screen himself against brad pitt <laughs> yeah and he doesn't overstep his mark yeah and the the writing you know he's he's restricted himself he's not being self-indulgent mm. Possibly he learned his lesson on Death Proof. That was Inglorious Bastards, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Joshua, what's coming up in the next episode? The next one is another 70s throwback. <laughs> that could be any of his films. Think about it. Think, Think about, about it. it. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and tune in radio so you don't miss an episode. We're on, we're on Twitter, at TornStubbedPod. Let us know what you think of season four. Let us know what you think about Inglorious Bastards. And send us your cat pictures. If you like middle-aged hipsters talking about music, go and listen to Track by Track, the Trash Music Podcast in all your usual podcatcher locations. We're off to get our 100 scalps. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut! <laughs> <laughs>